You are listening to Under This Light, a revelation of Shakespeare and self with Lamar Legend. I am your host. And today we have Dr. Nike Imoru, PhD, CSA. She is a British Nigerian classically trained actress, teacher, casting director, and producer. She owns and directs The Actor's Way, a studio for actor training and performance based on breathing, being, connecting, and the psychotherapeutic principles of Wilhelm Reich. In the U.S., she has garnered awards for her performances with Upstart Crow Collective, including Henry VI, that's Bring Down the House, and Titus Andronicus, as well as for the titular role of Coriolanus with Rebel Cat Productions, directed by Emily Pennick. Her solo performance of Medea was in Delphi, Greece in 2000, was received to international critical acclaim. She is currently developing the role of Jocasta in Oedipus with the artistic director emerita of American Conservatory Theater, Carrie Perloff, and the award-winning classical actor, John Douglas Thompson. As a casting director, Dr. Moru has worked on numerous feature films in the Pacific Northwest and was the executive casting director for the sci-fi channel's Z Nation. With Rebel Cat Productions, she produced the film All Those Small Things, which had its world premiere at the Seattle International Film Festival this past March. And under her PhD from the University of Warwick in the UK, her academic work covers African-American theater history, gender, and critical theory, and is a current finalist for the Artist Trust's Arts Innovator Award. Oh my goodness. I am so proud, grateful, and honored to have as my guest today... Dr. Nike Imoru. Hi, Nike. Hi, Lamar. Hi. It's so good to be here. It's so good to be in conversation with you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's a joy, it's a joy and a pleasure. All mine. Um, so to kick things off, uh, let's just start with how did your relationship to theatre begin? Um, you know, it began in England. Um, we had just... Uh, the fam- My family had just moved from Nigeria back to London and... Uh, we were, I was taken with a group of, um, you know, the classmates to see Peter Pan. And I hadn't seen Western theatre at that point. I'd seen um, theatre performance in Nigeria uh, informally, but uh, it was my first time sitting in a, in a theatre in the West. And I just remember being utterly transfixed when... Uh, you know, to bring Tinkerbell alive, the audience was uh, asked to applaud and to clap harder. And then you just saw Tinkerbell come alive. And I was, I mean, I was utterly mesmerized. Really, that was it. I, I couldn't <laughs> believe the life-giving properties of theater. And it stuck with me forever. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Um one of my favorite stories of all time. Uh, speaking of the, you know, life-changing, um, life-bringing properties of theater, um, you said to me once that Shakespeare saved your life. Uh, will you tell us more about that, please? And in what way and how? And how did your relationship to Shakespeare begin? You know, it, it, uh, yeah, it did. It did save me, save my life in a way. I hope that doesn't sound too dramatic. No. Um, you know, growing up uh, in England, you know, with um, immigrant parents, you know, uh, we didn't have a lot of contact or uh, involvement with a Western culture, certainly when we first arrived. And I was born in England, by the way, and we went to Nigeria, went back to England. And I remember my parents being very 
driven towards us getting an education, a good education. But, you know, God bless them. I think eight, I had a book sort of, you know, A-level standard or O-level standard, so high school on algebra, and I had a copy of Shakespeare. All, uh, I think it was All's Well That Ends Well, um, which I couldn't decipher at all, but I was um, quite an advanced reader, so I was reading extensively, uh, you know, by the time I was nine, but this book I couldn't decipher. Um, and then at 14, studying Shakespeare in high school, we came across, we started studying Macbeth, and my brain flowered at a time when I needed it to, when school was challenging, home life was profoundly challenging, uh, a sense of self was in a state of struggle and survival. And here was this space, this language, this depth of emotion, and I found myself in and through it. For some reason, either the way it was taught or just being in the country of, um, but, 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 you know, reveres Shakespeare, Shakespeare's birthplace, for some reason, some part of me had an, a profound emotional and psychic awakening as it connected with tragedy. I had no idea it was a classical form or it was difficult or should be challenging. I was just gripped by the story. Mm. Um, and then we watched uh, the black and white version with Ian McKellen and Judy Dench. And again, the same thing as when I watched Peter Pan, I couldn't believe this thing was possible. Uh, this event. And then I had this capacity for memorizing it and understanding it. Um, and by the time I was 18, I, I, at this all-girls school, we did, what was it? We did an all-female production of Hamlet, and I played Hamlet. And somewhere in there, I knew I was going to become a classical actress. <laughs> somewhere in there. It was yeah. Hamlet that did it. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably, yeah. You yeah. talk about how, you know, you took to it. It, 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 it saved your life and um, connected with you on a deeply emotional level and, and your identity. Um, is there anything in particular, a moment that stands out, a memory um, that, bring, that, that really struck you as uh, other than, uh, you know, you, you said you were pouring over Macbeth and was there a particular, a particular scene or, or something that connected in this epic tragedy um, and you're connecting to other, I mean, in your career and what I have in your credits, I mean, you've played some titular characters, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, and, yeah. and, and a tragedy, you know, um, yeah. was a part of it too. Um, what in its specifically, you know, in tragedy or in it that uh, for you as a teenager really, really got you? Or you felt like, ah, I feel seen. That's me. Or this, this, he gets it. it I get it. You're such a wonderful counselor. I can tell. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love this. Oh, I love this. Um, it was and still is the epic propensity of tragedy. And hmm. I think having a home life that felt so emotionally precarious. 
it's very difficult to explain when you're living in cross-cultural contexts, so West African context and a, say just a Western context or any context where different cultures are intersecting. Mm. Um, and, and then again, you know, black culture, it's very difficult to explain to the outside world what it's like on the inside. And for, for young people, for children, it can be so deeply complex. Mm. But the parental norm becomes the child norm. And so as you're moving through this, you know, time of life with its own stuff, you know, one is also dealing with, and I was dealing with cultural norms that were one thing at home, another thing outside, trying to balance that. And here was a story that in some ways had the same breadth and depth that African spiritual life has and mm. story and um, community has, right? Mm -hmm. um, spiritually. Uh, so it had that same breadth. But there was also a space where tragedy, it just didn't feel like a big deal. I just thought, <laughs> oh, I... Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's an intense relationship between this married couple. I know mm. what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, there's ambition here. There is um, rage here, anger. Mm. There are witches. It, it it's as though the epic propensity of tragedy matched what I felt I was experiencing at fourteen in some way mm -hmm. in life, mm -hmm. and they and mirrored. And I was able to, to, in a way, either escape from one into the other or understand and hold both things in place in my head. Mm. Mm. Yes, and that continued. I mean, because then when you were cast as Hamlet, um, mm. yeah. <laughs> that must have deepened in some way. Absolutely life-changing. Mm. Because that language never leaves you. That language the possible you know the ability to remember those soliloquies is still with me i mean i can still you know many many years later mm. recall did you find, them did you find parallels in your own life again i did i did and i'm sure every actor will tell you there are parallels in their life between <laughs> hamlet and theirs you know so there's that element <laughs> But it really, it brought about a maturity that I needed to have domestically. That there was mm -hmm. no choice in terms mm -hmm. of care, being, being a caregiver at a very young age. Mm -hmm. And what Hamlet allowed was an a internal reflection. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it, it allowed um, deep thought and, and also... It helped me to understand why I might not act in the moment and mm. fear and why one doesn't act in the face of fear and why decision-making process can stall action. Um, and then also that sense that not to trust anyone or anything around one mm. in the environment. Mm. That, 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 was, that, that made sense to me. I mean, I just thought, I didn't think Hamlet was mad. I thought, Oh, yeah, that's an environment where there's a lot of juggling to be done. 
Mm-hmm. And it's probably best if he doesn't actually mm-hmm. trust anyone. Mm-hmm. So since you have, um, <laughs> since you are one of our first, or no, it, you are our first Brit um, on the show, there are a couple of questions I feel I have to ask. <laughs> um, so please bear with me, but I know that um, some of our listeners are probably expecting me to ask uh, these. Um, yeah. So one, I'll, I'll ask, um, is there a difference from your point of view, is there a difference between the way Shakespeare is taught and performed here in the States versus in the UK? Absolutely, 100%. Mm. Yes. It, it, there's a radical difference. Um, mm. How so? Ha- I think uh, the most significant one to me is that in, in England, um, it's not as elevated we don't come to it in such an elevated way. Mm. There isn't a hallowedness around it. Now, that's not to say there isn't culturally a hallowedness around Shakespeare, the icon, mm-hmm. but actually at the, at the level of studying, engaging, performing in the ideas or the plays, there isn't this hallowed space that one must tread lightly around. Mm. Um, it doesn't come with, uh, yeah, it's not because it's not a cultural export. Right, and I think in America, it, it, it's 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 hallowed ground sometimes, <laughs> you know, which is makes it difficult to reach in a very grounded way sometimes. Oh, absolutely! I know. Yeah. I mean, speaking of my own community, um, many people feel like they can't touch him, and why mm-hmm. should they? That it doesn't belong to them in any way, shape, or form, um, mm-hmm. or he, the bard in and of himself. Um, mm-hmm. To that end. Um, the next question I have to ask is, uh, do you feel that Shakespeare belongs to the Brits? <laughs> no. no, I don't. But then, you know, uh, I, I laugh because uh, I've seen, you know, Shakespeare and the classics done in so many different cultures. And when we were learning or teaching in England, that's what we're teaching. I mean, I, I'm a, I think one of the few times I saw Shakespeare in Doublet and Hose was mm. when I came to America. <laughs> and I thought, well, what in heaven's name are they doing? No one does Shakespeare <laughs> like that anymore. I don't, I was at a high school when I, I mean, not even Judy Dench and Ian McKellen, you know. <laughs> right. um, but I've seen Shakespeare done exquisitely, magnificently in other cultures, uh, mm. in uh, Japan, um, by uh, Suzuki, um, in Africa, in West Africa, in mm. India. And mm. so, um, I think that perhaps outside of America, there's a greater sense of uh, reclaiming, taking a story, reclaiming, reworking, reframing Mm -hmm. the classics to meet the culture where it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and, and also, it's not necessarily spoken in English in those cultures. So how can it, he, belong to the English? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So getting back to the difference between Shakespeare's taught and performed here in the States versus the UK, um, how do you specifically, as an actor, na- navigate that here in the States? I mean, you talk about that we elevate it, you know, that it's a bit hallowed. Once you're in the rehearsal room, um, though, does that still exist? And, and if so, I'm, I'm sure it's different from room to room, but how do you navigate um, that? 
Yeah, I think when I when I go in, um, uh, I I I I I make sure that I don't show up holier than now and more hallowed <laughs> about it. You know what I mean? I yeah. keep it very grounded, hmm. um, and so I speak it. And I always say, I think most American actors, classical actors, know more about Shakespeare, the structure, the literary stuff that's going on more than I do, Mm. because I just speak it Mm -hmm. as I was taught it. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, uh, and how I've worked with it in the UK. And coming Mm -hmm. from a very working class background, the most important thing whenever we took it to schools or to communities or to prisons um, was always to make it accessible and understandable, to make mm. to keep the poetry beautiful because it is, but it doesn't have to be with that sort of accent, the sort of BBC received pronunciation accent. <laughs> but some of us, when we're reading that, use our own regional accents. Mm-hmm. And so I keep it very simple and I don't try to play verse or anything like that. What mm. I do is... Um, no, I adhere to the rules of Shakespeare, obviously, in speaking Shakespeare, but I don't try to um, over-elevate it. I just try to tell the story. Right, right. Which is your job. <laughs> it is every actor's job. Yes, yeah, that's right. And and I think it's hard if, if, if the belief is, uh, and the ruling belief is, uh, prevailing belief is it has to sound so Mm. beautiful Mm -hmm. um the problem there i always say is but i can't understand what you're saying Mm. just say it so i can understand it Has there been, is there, uh, or was there a mentor or a teacher that had a particular impact on you? Uh, In terms of acting? In terms of your career, in terms of they made an impact on your career as a whole. Oh, yes. Yes. And and in fact, my main mentor, uh, who took me under his wing when I was 19 uh, during my undergraduate, is still... I'm still in contact with him. Every performance I do, uh, I did a performance, a reading recently with uh, Kerry Perloff, and he attended on Zoom, you know, uh, wow. eight hours ahead. And so George <laughs> Savona, yeah, George Savona has had a, a significant impact uh, on my work as an actor, as a thinker, for sure. Mm. Did they also, uh, did he also make you or, 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 or fan the spark of wanting to teach yourself? Um, you know, I didn't, so many things I've done, I didn't necessarily want to do outside of acting. He, he and a, a woman called Gabrielle Griffin, who was uh, fundamental in teaching me, bringing me to theory, critical theory, gender, um, theories, uh, they, they told me that I, I had a capacity for it at a time when I didn't realize I did. So around 21 Mm. They um, sort of gave me my first jobs as a as a theatre academic, but 
or wrote my references, but I, I, I didn't realize I had that capacity till I started doing it. And it really was more about a capacity for communication, which mm. I was always passionate about. Yeah. And speaking of, um, will you tell us about your studio, about The Actor's Way? Oh, thank you. Yeah, The, the Actor's Way is um, a studio for film actors and theatre actors uh, that I've been developing over over a few years. Um, and that came about when I started casting for film. And I realised that a lot of actors in the Pacific Northwest were very conversant with theatre and had a lot of experience, but not so much experience coming to the camera in terms of casting the films that were coming from LA. And so I began to, here's that word again, translate <laughs> acting for the stage to acting for the camera mm. and to find languages and ways of doing that for for theatre actors predominantly um, and then just people who identified as actors. And so the actor's way is based on how we come to the camera, how we come to the frame and how it, why it's different than the stage. And yeah, that's primarily what I do. And, and instead of using practitioners of um, acting, acting teachers, uh, whether it's Stanislavski or so on, I started to create a system based on breathing, being and connecting with the self. Please unpack that. So you've <laughs> talked a, a little bit about, um, you know, uh, to me before, um, the healing modalities and, mm-hmm. and um, delving into trauma within the body and how it sits in the body and how that comes out. Uh, so in your practice, um, this this, you know, I would say moves a little away from, you know, traditional Western conservatory theater training. Yes, there is, you know, Viola Spolin and mm-hmm. um, the Alexander technique and and uh, uh, the viewpoints and, and mm-hmm. Suzuki work and uh, mo- more conservatories here in the U.S. are um, bringing in um, and incorporating those techniques. But you're talking about techniques that I think come from maybe even a, a different, a more different place. Is that true? And will you, t- will you, will you tell us more about that? I've always read uh, two things, psychoanalysis alongside um, the body. And it started off as um, with black bodies in African-American mm. history, always being a fascination. Um, our bodies in history, obviously um, in slavery, uh, and how the body has been owned, who owns this body, how it's been circumscribed, inscribed. So I've always had a fascination of the body in space mm-hmm. uh, and in culture. And one of the things I noticed um, on with on-camera training was how the body is, and Wilhelm Reich is uh, the practitioner, the psychoanalyst that I'm currently studying, um, he talks about the body being armored. And he talks about the actor being um, really an organism in a particular environment that's always reacting to that environment. Hmm. And one of the things that it does in an environment that it perceives as hostile, the body literally becomes segmented and armored. Hmm. And in that armoring, the breath is impacted. 
And so I began to, where uh, Reich looked under the um, microscope, I'm looking through the camera lens, and I started to notice that actors, when they were nervous, their breathing would be located in perhaps one place as opposed to moving through their body. Hmm. And this became fascinating to me about how the breath can literally be cauterized, cut off at certain points in the body and how that impacted performance. And I began to become interested in moving the breath and therefore energy, therefore the emotions through the body, supporting the actor to be able to do that effectively in order to um, enhance their performance. Hmm. And Wilhelm Reich's work, it's, it's, it's really quite complicated. I'm in studying with a, with, with a group, so I'm certainly not uh, an expert, but I began to see that, that allowing, simply giving an actor permission to breathe and to learn how to breathe would free them, would begin to free them up to learn how to be with themselves and their emotions, mm-hmm. right? Because what's happening, what Reich says is that the reason the breath is held and the body is armored is not so not just because of the trauma, it is because of that. Mm. But because we're we're afraid of the feelings overwhelming us. Mm-hmm. And mm. so it is the feelings that we're seeking to control, the emotions. And so emotions are energy in motion. And if they do not move, if they become stuck, then we have a situation of re-motion where the emotions are going, playing back inside the body, which is problematic. And so, yes, so working with actors, that's what I'm working with, is bringing that breath, making the breath unified so that the individual can come into contact with themselves and their emotions and find connection with scene partners in that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how, um, for performers, when you tap into your breath and you at least, at the very least, are aware of it, Mm -hmm. when um, you are in different various emotional states, Mm -hmm. how if you recreate the same thing, um, it can trigger those emotional states. Um, And it sounds like you are talking about exactly that yes yes what's wonderful about it as well is that this is for human beings i mean the reichian work is not just for actors or just for it's for people um who are you know growing in the craft developing in the craft and perhaps wanting to explore you know their own blocks our own Mm -hmm. blocks as we come to the frame or we come to stage as we come to the camera Mm mm-hmm so speaking of the camera, um, what brought you to being a casting director? An accident. Oh, <laughs> it was not a choice. Please <laughs> tell us. A, I, was, I was directing a, a devised piece on Shakespeare called Shakespeare in Love. And I was taking three scenes or four scenes that was performed by all women. And then those same scenes performed by all men. Um, just, you know, I was sharing that with the community that, uh, uh, that I was in. Mm. And one of the actresses said that she had to drop out in order to work on a movie. And I was horrified for two reasons. One, that she would drop out. Secondly, for a movie. I didn't, I wasn't watching movies at that stage. So I was <laughs> horrified. 
But she also asked me because of my work with actors if I would keep her seat warm and cast a film for her. And I did, under duress, I did. Um, <laughs> and that began a 15-year journey as a casting wow. director. Yeah, That's amazing. Do you, um, what does it give you that other, your, I mean, your other gifts do not? The only reason I do anything, I think, is so that I can have a deeper understanding of the actor. And so what casting does is it deep, every time I encounter an actor, I encounter a different world, I encounter a different emotional being that's organized perhaps differently emotionally from the other actor. Mm -hmm. And so what it gives me is an up close and even closer relationship to the actor. Mm. I just yeah. love, love the the vessel, the being, the symphony that is the actor. I would love for you to tell us whatever it is that you're working on now or that's on the horizon that you're excited about. I am, um, let's see, what can I talk about? I'm actually really excited about developing um, your caster in the role mm. of uh, in, in Oedipus with mm-hmm. Carrie Perloff and uh, John, John Douglas Thompson because it really gives me a chance to go back to my classical roots. I don't get much chance to go on stage and I come fully alive mm. on stage, really. it's There's a different frequency, there's a different strata that I enter into on stage. Um, mm. And so... Um, one of the things we, we had a couple of readings and one of the things I enjoyed was when we did the reading for the San Francisco Museum was reading Jocasta and then reading Oedipus mm. and being and having John Douglas Thompson read Jocasta to my Oedipus. That work really allows, uh, I find very exciting. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and also when you have such a powerhouse of a director of the helm, it's one can go deeper into the work and really explore the breadth of possibilities. Before we draw to a close, I have a couple of magic questions here. Yes, magic questions. Are you ready? I am (laughs) ready. Thank you for these. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, First one... If you could master one skill that you don't already have, what would it be? Oh, wow. That's a good one. I want to say patience. Mm. <laughs> it, uh, I mean, really authentic patience without, yeah, unbridled patience is one thing I would love to master. Uh, and that for me is a, a spiritual uh, calling, I think. I think that I share uh, your 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 wish for patience. I mean, boy, I wish we all I wish that for all of us, but that is something I struggle with uh, myself. The next thing is um All right, this one's this one's a little out there. So go with me on this imagination wise. Yes, I'll take it. <laughs> so we find out that Shakespeare's characters are real. 
but they mm-hmm. are based on real people um, down to everything they said and, and what they wore to the last detail. Um, they're of course not with us anymore because that was several years ago. Now um, on Halloween of this year, the veil between the real world and the spirit world will be lifted mm-hmm. and you are visited by the ghosts of three of Shakespeare's characters. Who do you want to be haunted by? Oh, wow. Fantastic. Wow. Oh, definitely Lady M. <laughs> what would you have to say to her? Or what would you, or listen to, I mean, why? <laughs> because I want to experience and know that level of that descent into pu- into pure madness and unraveling, hmm. uh, you know, unleash just the mind un- completely unhinged. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds crazy, but I would. No, of course not. I mean, it's you, yeah. it's for one night. You'll be you'll be fine tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> what about the other two characters if you have them? Coriolanus. Mm, be the fearless you know don't give a shit bring it bring the worst that kind of um power and fearlessness uh rage passion certainty i would love to know that Mm. Mm-hmm. And then the other one would be a romantic, probably Rosaline in As You Like It. <laughs> <laughs> what a great way to end the evening. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you'd probably be up to till dawn before she expires, just chatting away. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> would you describe for us, in your own opinion, your perfect day? Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. It comes pretty close as an introvert. My perfect day would be um, a desert island, overcast, gray, but warm, Hmm. surrounded by the ocean, a record player, and um, sitting in a hammock just listening to the waves lap against the shore. It's not very exciting, but that's what it would be. Uh, Well, you're talking to a fellow introvert, so that sounds perfect to me. You're also (laughs) hearkening to one of my favorite podcasts, The Desert Island Discs. So, yeah, you know that. Yes, they're so good. My goodness. Um, And lastly, uh, when you die, because we all will, if people forget everything about you, what's the one thing you want them to remember? That I giggle. But I, I, that, that in amongst it all, I giggle a lot and I find things very funny and I giggle mischie- mischievously and I giggle a, a lot more than people realize. <laughs> I think that's an important one to note um, because when you meet and or see Nikkei on site, um, she has this amazing aura, but it is, and I'm not that uh, 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 dissimilar, um, it's a bit of, in, uh, you can be intimidated. Mm. You can be intimidated. And I, and I feel that a lot of people probably are, correct me if I'm wrong, are when they meet you. Mm. Um, and I think it's important. I'm so glad to hear you say that, uh, that 
while you may not be approachable, you are not without humor. <laughs> Absolutely. I've giggled Lamar, and one reason I wanted this session was because I knew that lightness would come to me. Um, I just love any, any moments to connect with you because you come with a lot of joy. So, oh, thank you so much, Nikkei. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Under This Light, a revelation of Shakespeare and self, brought to you by Seattle Shakespeare Company. Thanks for joining us. Give us your praise if we be friends, and Lamar shall restore amends. If you enjoyed this discussion and would like to learn more about Seattle Shakespeare Company's productions and programs, please visit seattleshakespeare.org. We'd love to hear from you. Seattle Shakespeare is located on lands taken from the Duwamish, Stillaguamish, Muggleshoot, Suquamish, and all Coast Salish people, and we pay respect to them as this region's original storytellers. The music you hear in this episode is provided and composed by Stefan Dorsey. Artwork for our series was created by Marla Bonner. I'm host and producer Lamar Legend, and we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. So subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts.